That was one of the first songs our family learned where it was like different, well, different parts and then different, like, saying things, and it was just, I don't know, I felt Polish, I guess, but I'd be the one messing it all up. Amen. That probably wasn't pastoral. You'll forgive me. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, we didn't get through uh, the message this morning, which is okay, and I successfully ran everybody else off. Amen. That's a blessing. And we'll pick up here in verse 11. I just like to reread just a few verses of Scripture and pick up and go. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, He gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacteth by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself, in love, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Chuck, why don't you pray and ask the Lord for help tonight? Amen. Now, I began this morning saying that there's some things in every Christian's life that they need. No different than if you were to start a job somewhere, there would be certain things, uh, prerequisites. And, of course, we're, we're talking about a person who's saved, who's trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. But I see in this passage here some things that you and I absolutely need, and we covered two of them this morning. And every Christian needs, first of all, you need this local church. Amen. And if, that, if you think that I'm a little bit biased, I absolutely am because I'm the pastor of this church. So that's why I preach it. Amen? Now I know this, not everyone is for every church. Amen? Not everyone in this community is going to walk through this church and go, oh, home sweet home. Matter of fact, to be on the contrary, some people come here, won't get a blessing, and the Lord will plant them somewhere else and will do just fine. But let me tell you what God wants you here. You need this local church. And we keyed off of verses 11 through 13. And the reason you need this local church because there are some things in your life that need perfecting. That's verse 12 for the perfecting of the saints. And we said this, you ain't there yet. You just haven't arrived. Paul was very clear in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. He's like, look, I haven't attained, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. But look, you need this local church because there are some things in your life that need perfecting. And number two, because there's some work that needs to be done. The Lord wants to do something through you and through me. Some work needs to be done through the preacher, and some work needs to be done through the sheep, the people of God, His own heritage. And that's why you need this local church, because things done outside the local church are unbiblical. The vehicle in which God uses... Today, from Calvary, is the local church. Amen. If you're going to do something for the Lord, it should start and it should center, it should emanate out of the local church. 
uh, because uh, there are some things in your life that need perfecting. There's some work that needs to be done. That's verse 12, for the work of the ministry. And thirdly there, because you need to be built up. Verse 12 says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And we said clearly that what builds up a child of God is preaching and teaching. So if we do anything in this church that involves preaching and teaching, we're in the complete uh, will of God for being the parameters of what we're supposed to do. Amen? And uh, you are related to as God's building in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. And there's some part of you in your Christian life that needs to be built up. And you know where you get built up? Right here. God uses a pastor, God uses a teacher to build you up in the faith. You need some perfecting, you need some work to be done, you need to be built up. And we believe, and I believe uh, emphatically, that we should be here when the doors are open. But we said this on this point, you have to make the choice. The Bible says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And before you think this is a message about trying to corral God's people into strict uh, attendance adherence, if you ain't figured it out in your own mind, don't blame that on me. You see what I mean? I'm giving you the free pass. And that's why this work will continue to grow slowly because we'll give you the free will that God intended for you to have, but you need to make up your mind. And see, you made up your mind tonight, which is a blessing. And I'm not criticizing those that are not here, but look, I can tell you all day long why you should come to church, but you have to put it in your mind. You have to figure it out that you are going to come to church like you did and be faithful. Amen. Why? You need this local church. And we said this, and it probably wasn't received the greatest by all, but we said this, the church, you, you need the church, but the church doesn't need you. Now, for Americans, that's a difficult thing to think that something wouldn't need us. <laughs> I feel hurt just saying that, you know. No, you can't believe that. You know, this, this church wouldn't exist without me. It'd probably do better. <laughs> it would. But you need this local church. Number two, we said this morning that you need each other. You need each other. In verse 13, the Bible says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. And we said this, you need each other because you need someone to serve the Lord with. Every Paul's got a Silas. Every Paul eventually had a Timothy. Every Paul eventually had a Titus. Paul in the early days had Barnabas until that thing blew apart. (laughs) Right? Amen. I mean, Barnabas, a son of consolation, real kind, you know, grandfatherly fellow, and it just kind of blew up. So what happened? They both... Barnabas took John Mark, went one way. Paul took Silas and went another way. You see that? But you're going to need the brethren so you can uh, help, help you serve the Lord. You're going to need the brethren to help you fellowship with the, the Lord better. And we said in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. A lot of times we just take the brethren for granted. I'm not going to re-preach everything. I'm just highlighting the points and moving right on. And we said this, you're going to need the brethren for support. So and all me, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and right. No, mine too. Amen. My hope of heaven is. But I get some support down here from the brethren too. Now you're going to wake up some days and all that's going to fall out, right? And you'll be like, the brethren don't care. They don't like me. They hate me. Uh, might as well just go eat worms or whatever it is I'm eating today. Dad's donuts or something. But the brethren will help you. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 is where we eat off here. And that Bible says two are better than one. Great verse for marriage, amen. Unless you'd rather be single. It says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Verse 10 says, for if they fall, 
the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. You know what I find with the brethren? Uh, if you've got a good brother or sister in the Lord, um, you both won't be down at the same time generally. <laughs> just one of you. And the other can encourage you and pick you up. Uh, a couple, I just got a couple of friends, but the couple that I have, uh, they never seem to be down when I'm down. Man, it's just sometimes annoying because sometimes misery loves company, doesn't it? And you're like, you're miserable, and you just want everybody else to be miserable, but they're like, hey, glory to God, praise the Lord, how you doing, man? Shut up, would you? And he, what does he do? He's trying to pick you back up, you know? He just tries to encourage you to do right, encourage you to stick with it, and, you know, and all right, germ, talk your problem through, and all that stuff, but two are better than one. When you start falling, you know what? You can get back on track. I know most of you know this, but Jackie Robinson was the first black man to play Major League Baseball. And he was accredited with breaking baseball's color barrier. He faced jeering crowds in every stadium. And history says, there's a couple different varying accounts of this, but we'll go with this one that I chose. Well, playing one day in his home stadium in Brooklyn, he made an error. Only one. Tigers make a lot more than that. The fans began to ridicule him. He stood at second base, absolutely humility. He's already, you know, he's already got his back up against the wall, being a colored fellow playing ball, you know. And the fans were jeering at him. History says that shortstop then, Pee Wee Reese, came over and stood next to old Jackie, put his arm around Robinson, and faced the crowd. And the fans grew quiet. Robinson later said that that arm around his shoulder saved his career. Good to have a brother or sister, ain't it? Can you say that the brethren of this local church are your friends like that? Can you put your arm around a hurting brother or sister in the face of adversity? You see, you need each other. Look, I know when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to stand all alone before the Lord and give an account for what you did and receive in your body that which you did in your body, whether it be good or whether it be bad. But it sure is good to have one another on the trip there. Amen. And you need not only the local church, but you need each other. You need each other. Let me give you this one here tonight. You need local church, you need each other, and thirdly, you need to grow up. Look at verse 15. Bible says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Peter says over there in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I find that interesting when I read about Peter's account. Remember, Peter's the guy with the mouth, right? Peter's the, the cussing fisherman. And he is really good with a sword. But notice now at the end of his ministry what he's telling you to grow in first. <laughs> the same thing that I'm not giving Peter a bad rap. I... I don't know, I've done the same thing, I'm sure. All the above and then some, right? But Peter's knowledge like, yeah, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Is it not tempting as a Christian, as a Bible believer, to sit in the pew sometimes and soak up everything that maybe you have never heard or a good, been a good while since you did, and your head swells and your head swells, and you don't grow in grace with each other? But you're growing in knowledge. And Peter said, look, you've got to grow in grace first and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But here in verse 15, what you need as a child of God is you need to learn 
grow up. Grow up. I say this, the Lord didn't design you to stay a spiritual child your entire life. But let me say this, He didn't design you to be a spiritual child all your life, but He'll let you be. We say this, you're only as close to the Lord as you want to be right now. You are only as close to Jesus Christ as you have intended to be. I speak that often to our chagrin. But the Lord doesn't desire you to stay a spiritual child. And if you do, then clearly something is wrong, but he'll let you. Uh, look at verse 14. A spiritual child is characterized, first of all, by doctrinal trouble. Doctrinal trouble. Verse 14 says that that babe in Christ is tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Now notice who's doing it. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they, those are the cunning crafty guys there, lie and wait to deceive. Alright, so that spiritual child, that spiritual babe, he's got doctrinal trouble. Doctrinal trouble. Now, a spiritual child is one also who is unable to eat real spiritual food. He just can't do it. He can't handle it. Look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. A spiritual child, a spiritual babe, is unable to eat real spiritual food apart from milk. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 2, And I, brethren, that's Paul, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. In other words, Paul brought the top sirloin. Paul probably brought some ribeye, some barbecue steak, but he's like, yeah, I'm going to have to go to just some 2% here because they can't handle it. It's too much for their stomach. They're not developed. They're not developed yet. And a spiritual child is not only characterized by doctrinal trouble, but he's unable to eat real spiritual food. Notice this thirdly about the spiritual child who doesn't grow up. is one who regularly displays the attributes found in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 3, you're there. He says, for ye are yet carnal, but whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Those are the three main outward indicators of a spiritual baby. Look at them again. Envying, strife, and divisions. That envying is either, you know, envying something you got to have that somebody else has. Wish you had it. I wish you had their ability. Wish you had their spotlight. That's strife. Always fighting with somebody. Division. Always got to cause a ruckus. You know, bride at every wedding. You know, corpse at every funeral. And a spiritual child is just one who regularly displays, and that's why Paul gives you those. And that thing talking about a church, a Corinth, the baby church, had lots of problems. What were they doing? They were envying things. Uh, they were striving about all the time, always about divided up against something. And uh, notice this, the fourth thing, a spiritual child, he's got problems with their temper. Think about it. They get mad when somebody calls them names. Now, I mean, when you when you was coming up, and uh, sometimes your parents would really get after you, wouldn't they? I mean, I've said it before. Uh, there were some appointments that had been signed in blood, uh, or I remember at least remember the dates on. And sometimes your parents would get after you, and without being perverse, hopefully, they'd call you everything under the sun, and it was probably pretty true. 
And now, looking back, you love them for that, for the most part. I'm not talking about being abusive and being a, a jerk and all that stuff. But when your parents get after you, it's generally because they love you. Transfer that to 2022 Laodicean Christianity. If a preacher gets up and just shells the corn many times, you see where I'm going? Uh, any man who's got any sense, by the time he hits 40, will be conservative in nature, will be conservative in his thinking, unless he's completely seared his conscience. Same goes with the women there. But uh, when you look back and you reflect, for me, it took to about 25, and I really started to appreciate the old man. I realized how smart the old man was. I'm like, oh, that fellow's pretty smart. Actually, kicked around about 19 or 20. I was just homesick and just about ready to die. But the older I got, the smarter he got. And the smarter she got. And next thing I know, I cared a whole lot more about him than I did when I was a babe. And that spiritual child, he has trouble with his diet. And that spiritual child, he regularly displays the attributes of strife, envy, and division. And that spiritual child, he's got problems with his temper. They get mad when somebody calls him names. Think about it. A spiritual babe is always easily offended. Always got to be in the bonnet somewhere. You know, it's just, you know, just meh, meh, meh. Easily offended. How about the selfish, self-willed? Uh, spiritual babies, they're known for storming out of business meetings. Uh, if, if it was, you know, quote a, a verse of scripture or die, they'd probably have to die. And you know how that goes. And, but I'm just telling you, the Lord didn't design you to stay a spiritual child all your life. But think about it. Your growth then depends upon the Word of God. Your growth, therefore, depends. I'm saying you need to learn to grow up, and your growth depends upon the Word of God. I look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at just a little bit of Scripture tonight. Your growth depends upon that book. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible says, Brother Peter says, uh, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the world that ye may grow thereby. Now, when you're a newborn babe... You drink milk, don't you? And Hollywood said milk it does the body good, and the Bible told you that before Hollywood ever had an original thought. Amen? But not only that, in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, I know you probably just got to 1 Peter 2, but you got the milk, right? I want you to go back to Acts chapter 20. I want you to show you how this thing works. Your growth is going to depend upon the Word of God. Period. And how much you get into it and how much you absorb it and how much you can apply it, and how much it means to you. And the more you can get into that book, the more you'll grow. The more you grow. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Notice what Brother Paul says. He says, I commend you to God and to the ministry of His service. Is that what he says? Which is able to build you up? No, it doesn't say that. Let's try it again. I commend you to God and to the attendance of His services. No, that's a good idea. Help you out a little bit. I commend you to God and to what? The word of His grace, which is able to build you up. What builds you up as a child of God? That book. That book is the sole builder of your Christian life, mixed in with preaching and teaching with the local church. Go to another, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. See, you need to learn to grow up as a child of God. And we hear that thing and we take it negatively. But remember when you were a child, some of you might be a stretch to go that far back, amen. But you remember when you were a child, you were excited to grow up, weren't you? 
Matter of fact, some of you even fibbed about your age so you could be in this, that, or the other, or were so excited because your birthday was coming up, you just automatically assume you were 13, but you're really only 12. But why does now when we often talk about spiritual growth, it's just like, Remember when you were getting close to the age where you could drive? Exciting times, weren't they? Life had just begun. It was fantastic and wonderful. Why? Because you were getting ready to drive and everyone was hitting for the ditch. You know what I mean? <laughs> or maybe they're going in the center of the road. I'm not sure. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. I'm saying tonight your growth depends upon the word of God. Matthew 4, 4, the Bible says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, many of you know where I'm going with this, and all through your Bible, uh, the Word of God is likened unto food. You saw milk to begin with. When you're a newborn babe, you drink the milk, right? Well, you get a little bit older, and I might have these a little bit out of order, and y'all are smart enough to figure that out. And then as you grow, you get a little older, you, uh, you drink the milk, and then you take some bread, and uh, maybe you take that bread and dip it in some milk, right? Soften it up. You get a little bit older. And, uh, of course, uh, the Word of God is like bread, Matthew 4, 4. The Word of God is like milk, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. And then, uh, well, maybe if that's uh, not too palatable, maybe you put a little bit of honey on it after you're about a year old to sweeten it up a little bit, sop a little bit of bread in the milk, a little bit of syrup or a little bit of honey there. Oh, by the way, your Bible is like likened unto honey, right? Psalm 119, 103. And then the older you get, you know what mama gives you? She'll give you some apples. At first, she'll take the peeling off, and she might run them through a cheese grater or something or make her own applesauce, right? But the older you get, she'll give you, you know, little shreds of apple with no peel. Eventually, she'll give you an apple slice, right? Oh, by the way, the Word of God is like apples of gold and pictures of silver in the book of Proverbs. You see how that works? And that's Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11. But you don't stop there, do you? You keep eating. And the more you grow, and the more that book you get, you drink the milk, amen, you eat the bread, you eat the honey, uh, you eat the apples, and then finally you get to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, and you get to eat the meat. And aren't you glad you got to hold the meat? You say, if you're talking about real meat, yes, sir, amen. When I go, listen, when I go, it's not confession here. When I go to Lucky's, I do not order a salad. I, I can't believe you go to help yourself. I mean, I'll go for you. <laughs> Say, what do you order? Prime rib or ribeye? Medium well. Asparagus with lemon butter, button mushrooms? Mm-mm. I mean, it's just a melt in your mouth. I don't go there for rabbit food. <laughs> I, mean, if I, I mean, if I want to go graze in the backyard, I'll go home. But I'm thankful that I've got to the place in my Christian life where I can eat some meat. And you know what some of this stuff is that we're going through right now? It's meat. <laughs> Y'all are going to get a picture of me grazing, aren't you? So when I tell you something like you need this local church, what that is is some of that stuff is like barbecue beef. You see what I mean? Why? Because it's hard to digest, isn't it? You've been raised in a society that says, to thine own self be true. You don't need anyone but me, myself, and I, us three, and no more. And all of a sudden that Bible says, no, that's not right. You're wrong. The way you think is wrong. The way you were raised is wrong. The way you were brought up, I know they meant the best they could, but that's not what the Bible says. That's strong meat. Strong meat, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. 
belongeth to them who have by their sense of extra, I'm messing the whole thing up, but you get you got to digest that stuff. And you need to understand that in the Christian life, sometimes a lot of preaching is going to be strong meat. Now, that we don't do strong meat all the time, because if you had, let me tell you what, if you're always on some keto thing or some Atkins thing, you know what you turn into? You turn lean and mean. You see that? There's a lot of Christians, a lot of Bible, self-proclaimed Bible believers. You know what they are? They're mean. Why? Too much meat. But it sure is good to have a good steak, ain't it? Amen. That's really good. And you're like, which one are you talking about? Both. Amen. I tell you, when I sit under some preaching of a, a, a preacher that knows what in the world he's talking about, and he's got God up, man, that's good stuff, isn't it? And uh, I tell you what, you know what you need, Chris? You need this local church. You need each other, and you need to grow up. But your growth is going to depend upon the Word, and you need to grow up into Him. That's what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, Speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him, into all things, which is the head, even Christ. And Christian, you need to grow up, and you need to keep growing. I'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. Paul uses a word here when talking to these Corinthians, and I think he's a Corinthians. He's kind of fired up here. I just invented a new word there. But anyways, he says, uh, he says, Be ye also enlarged. And I believe there comes a point in your Christian life where you don't think you can keep growing. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, but I'm telling you, Paul says, look, be also enlarged. And there's going to come a point in time where you don't think you can possibly grow anymore, and the Lord's going to enable you to enlarge. And you have to keep growing. And we talked about this last Wednesday night. Here's the thing. Some Christians didn't crack their Bible all week long. You're still saved. You just didn't grow. Here's, here's the terror. Here's the terror of that thing. We've been hitting on this thing the last week and a half. There is a principle and a law in the Christian life that goes like this. When you stop growing, you eventually will go backwards. And if you ever wonder why you're not as close to the Lord Jesus Christ, is because when you get out of fellowship with the Lord, you don't always just pick right back up and do business. Do you? Remember the story, either Luke chapter 2 or maybe Luke chapter 4, where Mary and Joseph go to Jerusalem there, and they lose Jesus Christ for one day, don't they? But it takes three days for them to find him. Now look, you never lose your salvation. We're thankful for that. Amen? We're solid on our doctrine. But you lose fellowship with Jesus Christ, and you stop growing for one day, there's, there's, there's how you see that thing. It took three days to get back the fellowship. It took three days to get back the closeness. So I'm saying when you stop growing, when you stop getting into that book, you stop growing and you go backwards. And I'll go a step farther. and Go to the book of Luke here. Go to the book of Luke, chapter 19. When you, start, uh, uh, you stop growing, you start losing the progress you made. And what happens is you've got to start over. You've got to start over. You know what Christians hate doing? Starting over. Why? I'm farther along than that. I'm closer to the Lord than that. I've been here longer than they have. Hope they do, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't think I don't think we got I don't think we got names on the backs of the pews. Maybe we do. If I do, I'm sorry about that. But uh, that, what does that even mean? I'm just saying, when you stop growing, you're going to start going backwards, and you're going to lose the very thing that you had. Look at not your salvation, but look at Luke 19:26. 
Notice the principle that Jesus Christ himself brings out here in Luke 19. When you stop growing, you go backwards. When you stop growing, you lose the progress that you had originally made. 1926, For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken away from him. A verse over there, I can't remember where it's at. The Bible says, To whom much is given, much shall be required. You have a goodly heritage, church. Most of you do. And some of you have been given a lot. And lots going to be required. And if you don't keep in that book, you'll lose the progress you got going right now. You know how sometimes you feel super close to the Lord Jesus Christ? And then here comes Monday by the end of the day, you just feel like a dirty dog. And you're like, yeah, I go to what church? I'm saved? Great. That's wonderful. You know, and everything is stupid and dumb and shut up here and don't bother me and leave me alone and drop dead. And I'll, I know y'all are never like that. What happened? Just got out of fellowship for one hour. Takes three to get it back. And you got to keep growing. You got to keep growing. And the Word of God is what bases your growth. And you're gonna, only going to grow depending upon that Word of God. Now, let me give you this last one here. You need this local church. You need each other. You need to learn to grow up. And you need to learn how to walk. Amen. Aren't you glad the Lord gave you a book that showed you how to walk? You need to learn how to walk, and I see that right in the text. Look at verse 17. Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not, as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. You know what Paul's doing? He approaches you with negativity. He doesn't say, do this, and all will be well. He says, don't do this, and all will be well. Again, remember raising kids, raising babies? You know what you were good at? You were good at reproving them young'uns. <laughs> Quit it. Stop it. Right? They go somewhere they shouldn't. Nope, nope, nope. Uh-uh. You know what Paul's doing? Hey, don't walk that way. How? Look what he says here. Walk not as other Gentiles walk. You see that? Now, Paul's giving you reproof. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. I want to chase this thought down just for about uh, a minute or two. Proverbs chapter 6. Give you a couple verses. And one thing the child of God has got to remember is that one of the preacher's job is to reprove. Reprove. And that's simply getting up and telling you what is wrong with just about everything. And we're missing a generation of preachers now that got the backbone and the powder to blow themselves into Jerusalem that will get up and tell you what's wrong. They're worried about what people are thinking. Let me tell you, I'm worried about what God's thinking right about now. And if I don't give you a little bit of reproof, He's going to remove me and find somebody else to do my job. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. Now, notice this thing about reproof. It's often brought about in a negative manner. It's when a preacher gets up and tells you what's wrong with this world, tells you what's wrong with things. It's instruction given in a negative fashion. Verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. You say, yeah, well, why'd you turn us there? Get used to it. <laughs> I used to tell my kids that. I used to tell them that verse. By the way, it's just going to come, right? If you're a parent, you're just going to chew them out every now and then, aren't you? You're not going to wail, you're not going to wear them out. You're not going to ground them. You're not going to threaten them. You're not going to backhand them in love, right? I, I know what generation I'm talking to, but you're going to let them have it verbally, aren't you? And you know what Solomon, the wisest man, says? Oh, he goes, well, hey, you know... Uh, Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. You need to get used to it. 
I say that so you can hear negative preaching, things that are wrong with this world, things that are wrong with carnal Christians, and you'd be like, yeah, that's right. Instead of going, well, I can't believe he says that. How, 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 you know, how insensitive. Doesn't he know? Isn't he abreast of the times? Doesn't, don't you think he could put that in a better? Hey, it's a way of life. You want to get some help? You're going to have to get told no sometimes. I'll look it over here at uh, Proverbs 10. Uh, some people think a preacher gets all this glee of getting up and preaching against sin and all that. No, I know it's my job, and if I don't do it, like I said, the Lord will replace me. Uh, Proverbs 10, 17. Look at this. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof erreth. All right, so you get a man who doesn't want to listen to reproof. He's going to get in trouble, ain't he? That's all I want you to see there. Look at uh, 12, ch- uh, chapter 12, verse 1. 12, 1. Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. Now look, this thing has kicked me like a mule several times because I've sat down and listened to some uh, preacher preach, and I didn't care none for him one bit. But he was telling the truth. Mm. You know what the Lord's saying? You stinking brute. He's telling you the truth. Don't matter what it looks like. Don't matter if he can or can't preach. Don't matter what you think about him. You're on the same team. And he gave you their proof, so just take it. That's the way of life. A look at 1318. We're, we're just about done with this, this thought here, and we'll get moving. That's something you, you all absolutely love. But 1318, look at this thing. The Bible says, Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction, but him that regardeth reproof shall be honored. There's a positive side. You take the reproof, a little bit of honor comes your way. I'm just showing you that. you you got to learn to like it. <laughs> like it or lump it, they say. Amen? And Christians are so touchy anymore. You try, you try to preach against sin and preach against how they live, and they're, how dare they? <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> take the reproof. Amen? Just learn to take it. <laughs> All right. First of all, Paul says uh, back in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, walk not as other Gentiles walk. That's the unsaved. That's the world. You say, why? Well, pretty simple. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, before you were saved, that's the way you walked in times past. All right? He says in verse 17, Ephesians 4, 17, don't walk in the vanity of your mind. You know what that is? Uh, You know what vanity is? Just a bunch of emptiness. That's your head half the time, amen. (laughs) Amen. The vanity of your mind. You know, this world tells you you're pretty smart. You're pretty fantastic. And even if you are smart, don't believe all your good press, amen. But you don't walk in the vanity of your your, your mind like the Gentiles do. Uh, Look at Proverbs chapter 3, you're right there. The vanity of your mind. I'm thankful that God gave us a book to tell us how to walk. You know, you think, by the way, some Christians live that God never told anyone what to do. And it's just, I wonder what I'm going to do today. Well, you ain't reading the Bible. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. You know the verse. You've read it. You, you wrote it. You memorized some of it. 3, 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Ain't that something? You know what the, uh, you know what the vanity of your mind says? I got it. I can do it. You know what the Bible says? No, you can't. <laughs> well, look at Jeremiah. Just in case you think I'm fibbing or just... You know, i got my own agenda. Jeremiah chapter 10. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Why? You can't do it. You can't do it on your own. This, this country is so pathetic. It tells you, you can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. You can't not. 
That's not even the right way to say it. You can't. Oh, this is America, land of the free, home of the brave. Get over it, man. Some of you are never going to make more than 50000 a year, and you know it. Okay, now look at Jeremiah 10. What, you, know, you know why they say that? Keep your head in the dark. Keep you away from believing what the book says. 10.23, Jeremiah 10.23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Haven't you been trying to plan your life, your entire life? How's that working out for you? It ain't, is it? Back to Proverbs chapter 3, in all thy ways acknowledge me, no, him, and he shall direct thy paths. Why? You can't do it. <laughs> you say, why? Because he's got to be the one that teaches you how to walk. You can't walk in the vanity of your own mind. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, 18, don't walk alienated from the life of God. You know what that is? That's a bunch of Christians living with no God consciousness whatsoever. That's a bunch of Christians living like practical atheists. Living their life that God doesn't exist. Living their life making decisions, going here, spending this and doing that. I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money. Forget that. Uh, ask, ask who's that financial guy, Ramsey or whoever that fellow is that you know, that, you know, owns you know, half the thousand cattle on hill or something like that. But uh, that's living without God consciousness, right? Alienated from the life of God. That's living like he don't exist. That's you making all your decisions, planning your own life, doing everything you want to do and not giving God the benefit of the doubt and say, Lord, what do you think about this right here? And Paul's saying, don't walk like those Gentiles do. Not only that, uh, look at verse 18. You don't walk ignorantly because you're following your heart. I told you this is good, wasn't it? <laughs> look at Proverbs chapter 28. You know where I'm going with this. Don't walk ignorantly because you're following your heart. You want to be in the ditch? Follow your heart. You want to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ? Question everything your heart says and does. Everything. You know, Paul said, Paul said uh, he says, uh, you put no confidence in the flesh. Why? You're a dirty dog. You're no good. You can't direct your own steps. You can't lead your own life. You can't choose the right path. You just can't do it. So why in the world would you trust your heart when it's deceitful and desperately wicked and who can know it? All right, look what it says here in, uh, what did I say? Thank you, Proverbs 28, 26. 28, 26. Now you got to learn how to walk, Christian. 28, 26. He that trusteth his own heart is a fool. That's it. Don't do it. Well, my guidance counselor said, well, he, he, he's a fool and she's a fool. Amen. You can't trust your heart. You know why they say that? What are they going to say? They can't say trust the Lord in the public school. You're in trouble. Uh, hats off to you all teachers in the public school. You got yourself a job. And this is probably not pastoral, but I'm proud of you. Why? Who else would do it? I mean, subject yourself to a godless educational system? God bless you, man. Then you ought to pray for the teachers. You know, but you know, back when I went to school, they still whipping your hind end. You got out of line. They were. You do that now, you go to prison. Oh, you don't even go. Well, you got to learn how to walk. Don't walk in the vanity of your mind. Don't walk alienated from the life of God. 
Don't walk ignorant because you're following your heart, verse 18. Look at verse 19. Now he gets a little bit more in detail. Don't walk in lasciviousness. You say, what in the world is that 55-letter uh, L word? Well, you know what lasciviousness is? Webster says, irregular indulgences of animal desires, a tendency to excite lust, looseness, wantonness, no restraint. That's that, that's that inclination of man to always go south, to always go in the gutter, always go in the gutter, always fulfill the lust of your flesh. Everything is just terrible. Everything is always immoral. Everything is always impure. Everything is always shop talk. That's what lasciviousness is. And in verse 19, you don't walk in uncleanness. That's foulness. That's dirtiness. Everything's dirty, isn't it? Hang around little boys. You know what they like to talk about? Potty talk. You know what that is? Unclean. I know you chuckle, but that's what it is. And the older boy you get, the worse it gets. You, you, you can find the mindset of America. You just go in any Michigan public rest area bathroom and read the art. That's where everyone's thinking, right in the gutter. And you know what Paul says? You don't walk like that. You don't walk in uncleanness. Now, this walk, it involves putting off some things in verse 22 that you're well aware of. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. This walk involves you putting off the former conversation, putting off the old man, which is corrupt, just in case you questioned it. That old man that you live with, he's a dirt ball. Amen? Translation, he ain't no good. You're no good. You've got to remember that. You've got to question that. All right, this uh, walk involves you being renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 23. And then the, uh, you get spiritually renewed by verse 24 by putting on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, there's a bunch of things there, but I want to give you a few more things about this walk, all right? I kind of grazed and glazed over that thing because there's a lot right there. But I took the rest of the, uh, the Pauline epistles here and I pulled some things out how God specifically tells Paul to tell you how to walk. Can I give you just a couple tonight? I look at Romans chapter 6 verse 4. Romans chapter 6 verse 4. God is interested in you walking uh, the way he wants you to. And you have to learn how to walk as a Christian. And once you start walking, you don't stop walking. You keep going, you keep growing, and you keep pleasing the Lord. All right? Romans 6, 4. Notice what that Bible says there in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. He says that we, what? Should walk in newness of life. Isn't that interesting? Don't you find it interesting that Paul says we should? You ever hear people get up and preach that passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. Great verse, right? But guess what? You get saved, and after a while, you're not as on fire for the Lord as you used to be. And you start slipping back and doing some things. You didn't lose your salvation, did you? Is that verse wrong? Is the Bible a lie? No. He says in Romans 6, 4, that you should. That doesn't mean you will. That's the decision you got to make. You see that? Now look, why all things become new is because you got the new man living inside of you now. You have new tastes, new attitude, new senses, right? But you don't always do the things you should. The Bible says in the book of Romans, I think it's chapter 8, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Right? That's how that thing goes. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, he said, we should walk in newness of life. And you should walk in newness of life, and so should I. That's how you should walk. All right? If you're a Christian, you should, you should walk as a Christian. All right, look at Romans 13. 
Paul says the, the way that a Christian should walk, Romans 13, 13, is to walk honestly. Walk honestly. We are to walk honestly. You know, then he goes ahead and he defines uh, the uh, antithesis of what honesty is. He says in Romans 13, 13, we're to walk honestly, not in rioting and drunkenness. A bunch of screwballs back in the mid-70s called themselves quiet riot. Ain't no such thing as quiet riot. He says, you're supposed to walk honestly, not in rioting. Not in what? You know what's going around these cities a couple years back? All kinds of, all right, you're going to get in a part of that? Is that what you want? Is that, the, is that the hill you want to die on? You're not walking the way the Lord wants you to. Well, I have my First Amendment. I have my second. Help yourself. Bible says walk honestly, not in rioting. Look at it now. Verse 13, it goes on to say, and drunkenness. Pretty, pretty clear, right? How about this? Not in chambering and wantonness. That has to do with sexual impurity. That whole thing about chambering. I wonder why he's telling a bunch of Christians not to chamber. What's that verse? Is that 1 Timothy 4, 4, 2? Go to 1 Timothy with me. I want to show you this. You know why Paul says uh, you shouldn't be chambering? You know what chambering is, right? Chambering's shacking up with each other. I'll say it again. Chambering's shacking up. Chamberlain's living together. You know why Paul says that? I'll show you why. Look, I think it's 1 Timothy 4. If not, someone will correct me. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Yeah, 4.3. Well, let's go to first one first. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times. Would you agree that probably now is latter than when it was written? <laughs> Pretty simple, right? Some shall depart from the faith. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking to lost people. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to, you know why they're forbidden to marry? Because they're shagging up. You say, well, that's the Roman Catholic Church. I get all that doctrinal implications. I'm good with that. But the reason there's a bunch of Christians forbidding to marry is because they're shacking up and they're enjoying what marriage is without getting married. You see that? King James Bible always bring you out right. Now, he says you need to walk honestly in Romans chapter 13, verse 13. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. I'll give you another one. 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. I'm going to load your wagon right up and you can spill half of it on the way out the door. 2 Corinthians 4, 2. How should I walk? Well, the Bible is very replete. How about this? You want to know how I got most of this list? Search out the word walk. <laughs> you got a Bible app? I mean, it's, it's simple. I'm trying to help you here. I'm not being, I'm not being uh, rude. But uh, look here at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says here not to walk in craftiness. And notice what craftiness is related to. Nor handling the word of God deceitfully. You got a bunch of people, uh, even in this community, that don't handle the word of God right. You don't walk with them. And you yourself don't correct that book. Nor handling the word of God deceitfully. And that thing was going on in Paul's day. And uh, that's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Not walking in craftiness. Nor handling the word of God deceitfully. I'll give you another one here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Paul says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And that's one of the downfalls of the Christians, if I've ever seen it. 
uh, Christians today, they have to have uh, rainbows, they have to have signs. We're not Jews. Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. And I'll tell you what, as a Christian, after a period of time, and here's the thing that's difficult about that verse right there, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. When you are first saved and the Lord begins to deal with you in your personal life, He is often so personal with you and His dealings that some of it often seems supernatural, doesn't it? But can I remind you, He is so personal because He wants to be real to you. He doesn't broad brush and deal with everyone the same way. So you've got to be careful that you keep growing as a Christian because God's not going to always, He's not going to answer every one of your financial needs with an extra paycheck. Sometimes He's going to teach you to, to do better with what you got. Sometimes He's going to let you get stretched out. Sometimes He's going to see that you have a need and He's going to give you another need. And you're going to be praying for a bailout and He's going to let you sit there and sweat it out. And that's how the Lord does that thing. And many times the Lord is so personal with how He deals with you and when you're first saved and in your uh, young Christian life that you get this misconceived idea that the Lord is always going to be there. He's always got the prize. He's always going to come through with it. And a lot of times you're just going to have to sit there and trust Him for the answer. But we walk by faith, not by sight. That means you go ahead and you make decisions for the Lord Jesus Christ whether or not you can or not. That means you, you make plans to go to church whether or not you think you can get there or not. You trust the Lord. You walk by faith, not by sight. Why in the world a Christian in this day and age has to have everything laid out, every box checked, and you don't even live your fiscal life like that? He says we walk by faith, not by sight. How about this one, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. We're to walk worthy of being a Christian. Walk worthy of being a Christian. And uh, that thing is paired up with Colossians chapter 1.10. You see that similar wording. We're supposed to walk worthy of the Lord. Walk worthy of the Lord. The Bible says in Colossians 1.10, unto all pleasing. So, if we're a Christian, we ought to live like a Christian. Amen? Uh, Think about what your last name is for just a second. So, you may be proud to be that last name. You may not. But most of you, I imagine, are pretty thankful for your heritage, for your last name. I'm thankful for mine. You ought to live like one. And when you got saved, you became part of the royal family. Amen. And you ought to live like a royal son of God, not a royal pain. Amen. You ought to walk worthy of God. You ought to work worthy of God unto all pleasing. You ought to, you ought to walk in a fashion that pleases Him. Why? Revelation 4.11, we were created for His pleasure. And time, scripture after scripture in the New Testament shows how you and I should walk. Let me give you another one here. Colossians chapter 5. I'm chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. The Bible says we're to walk in wisdom, walk in wisdom toward the lost, redeeming the time. You see that? You and I, we've got to be smart about how we deal with lost people, their souls. You never know when the last day for some soul a lost sinner might be, and you've got to walk in wisdom towards them that are without. And if you've never had a chance to give them the gospel, give them a track. We've been trying to cover some of that material in Sunday school. But you walk in wisdom. You be careful. Uh, towards them that are without, those that are lost. And then the Bible says they're redeeming the time. Why? you got to buy back that time, don't you? I'm not trying to get you down tonight. I'm trying to encourage you and stir you up. But many of us, I'll put us all on the bandwagon, we've wasted years, we've wasted months, we've wasted hours, we've wasted days. And that command is walking wisdom toward the without. And then Paul tags that thing on the back, redeeming the time. you got to buy it back. 
If you live 30 years for the devil, you ought to try to live 31 for Jesus Christ. I'll give you another one here tonight. We're supposed to walk in love. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. I've got a lot more, but I'm not going to wear you out. I'm starting to wear you out. I know that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, that Bible says to walk in love. You know, that's one of the hardest things you'll ever do and keep doing uh, consistently. Why? Because you just, uh, I know that we love him because he first loved us, but it takes the love of God being in you to be able to love somebody else. It really does. You'll wake up one day and you'll be in love with everybody. Then you'll wake up another day and you'll hate everybody. True story. Been there, done there, got t-shirts. Why? It takes a supernatural act. Why? Love is a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? And sometimes you're producing the fruit of the Spirit of love, and some days you ain't. And Paul says, that's a commandment. Walk in love. And that's one of the hardest things you have to do is put that old man to death. You put him off like a change of clothes, and you put that new man every day, and you read that book, and that book causes you to grow, and that book and the knowledge of God and the testings and trials that you go through uh, enables you to love other people. Walk in love. That's the direction. How am I supposed to walk? Well, we've covered a few. And let me give you this one. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. You're supposed to walk orderly, Paul says. That's an interesting passage in there, if I've ever seen one. <laughs> I mean, that's against the entire Michigan welfare system. <laughs> and uh, Paul says uh, in, uh, to the Thessalonians, he says there that, uh, I'll just go ahead and turn there and read it. I'm reading it into the passage here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. Now look, this book has every answer to everything you'll ever deal with in life. It says, Now we command you, verse 6, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he, uh, which he received of us. Now look, what, what's the problem? Verse 7, for yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Well, what's the disorder, Paul? Out with it, would you please? Verse 8, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. What's the disorder? Being a stinking freeloader. You see that? Look at verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now listen, don't climb in my back door. I know some of you worked all your life and retired and your 401k and your pension, but praise the Lord for that. Maybe what, well, I'm just going to keep working. Anyways, but maybe one day we'll have a little bit of that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Paul's like, look, in my day, there were Christians, Paul saying they're a bunch of freeloaders. And since the early church was in Coet, everything in Acts chapter 2 was a communal system. How about this? Everyone in the church brought their checkbook to the deacons. And then they dispersed everyone's wealth. That's communism. Aren't you thankful? We don't run that way today because there'd be some stinking freeloaders in every Baptist church and you and I both know it. Amen. And Paul says, look, you, you don't walk disorderly. You don't work, you don't eat. That's the disorder. How am I supposed to walk? I should be a responsible Christian that knows that my duty is to work for the Lord. Amen. And my secular job, I'm supposed to work to please Him. And if I got a good boss, I praise the Lord and I work hard. And if my uh, uh, boss is a, a bad person, I work just as hard and praise the Lord for it. And I don't be out of order. That's it. You walk, you don't walk disorderly. And if there's Christians that are disorderly and they won't change it, you know what he says? You withdraw yourself from them. Ain't that something? You know what that is? Separation from disorderly brethren. That's kind of tough, ain't it? That's hard stuff. 
I mean, I mean in 2022, that, that's cultish. No, that's Bible. Amen? But you withdraw from them not because, you're, not because you're the enemy. You withdraw from them because you want them to think about what they're doing and get right. Well, there's just some things on how to walk. Listen, you and I, we need some things in our Christian life. We need this local church. We need each other. We need to learn to grow up, and we need to learn how to walk. There's a lot more where that's came, but we'll stop right there. It's about quarter after, and let's uh, all stand. We'll have a word of prayer.